Hello and welcome to Murder Analyzed. I'm Christina Moore. Now the case today we're going to look at is the Alawalia case. So I apologise now, and I don't mean any disrespect by how I pronounce these names. Um, you know, it's this London accent that often gets in the way of things like that. But, you know, so I apologise for that from the outset. So anyway, let's now talk about this Alawalia case. And this is a case from 1989, and it's a, a, another United Kingdom um, case, the UK case of murder. So I think with this case, <laughs> I'm going to have to say at the outset, really, this case is, is controversial. You know, um, even when I trained in law, this case was there. And, and if you study criminal law, this is a case that you would, which, which brings out debates. Actually, I have done debates on this and legal mooting on this case alone. So, and as you're training, to be a lawyer this is this is a case that you would want to know and and you will as we go through this case you will see this case and you will make up your own decision because I'm not going to give my opinion on this case I'm going to tell you the facts of this case and what happened with the case and I'm going to leave it up to you and without a doubt you will make up your own opinion as many people have one way or the other on this case that's really you know I think why I've done this case because I think it is um, a talking point. It is going to create discussion for you. It is going to make you think, mm, you know, maybe, maybe not. So anyway, let's get on with the case. So anyway, Alawalia, she was born in India from a middle class family. Um, she was the youngest, I think, of nine children. She, um, her mum and dad died when I think when she was 16. And so her family brought her up and she says herself that her childhood was idyllic. She was also trained in um, uh, well-educated, so she had an arts degree and also that she was also um, studying the law. So it must be a woman thing lately. So anyway, so she was studying law. So um, early stages, I think, but she was studying law. So she was an intelligent woman. All right. She'd already had a degree. She was an intelligent woman. Um, she was the sort of person, I think, from even young, that didn't want your stereotypical life of just getting married and having children. She wanted more. And there's nothing wrong with that, because don't we all? So, But the culture she came from, I think, influenced her, and she was influenced by her brother and stuff, to get married. So her brother, her older brother, moved to um, Canada. And um, in her 20s, she went then to Canada to stay with him and his wife. They then influenced her and encouraged her to get married. You know, you're 23, you should be married, this, that and the other. So she then decided, okay, I'll have to get married. Now, again, in this culture, these are arranged marriages. So um, he knew someone in England, um, UK, and he um, arranged then for Deepak, who had emigrated himself to United Kingdom, in um, 1971. So, but then he then arranged for Deepak Alawaya to fly out to um, Canada and meet uh, her. And then they, um, which I think met once, and then they were married. So she really didn't know this man at all. He seemed on this first meeting, as they all would, I suppose we met someone the first time, you know, he was a friendly, nice man, very good looking. So she thought, well, if I have to get married, because this is what this family expects of me to do, then I'm, he's probably the best choice, you know. And um, 
But what she states after that is once they were married, even from that first day of marriage, the abuse started. So then they've left Canada and now they've come back to England. So she's here, she's isolated with him, she's, she's now married to him. This, this relationship now is a, a, a very abusive. Um, there's lots going on in this marriage. She, he doesn't want her to be westernised. He wants them to probably keep control because that's really what it's all about. And, um, you know, that is his wife and his possession and his belonging and that's what she's going to do. She also says that because of the abuse that she was suffering at the time, that she didn't want to have children by this man. But she then alleges that he was raping her. So let's now just talk about, this is 1989, and the laws in England didn't change until 1991 on where a man, it was a crime for a husband to rape his own wife. So she couldn't have gone to the police, really, about the rape and, 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 and this, because really he couldn't have been charged with anything because under the law at that time in 1989 he was entitled to rape, rape his wife under the law because I think we need to look at I suppose the marriage really because when you marry someone under English law at that time you say love honor and obey as part of your vows don't you so what is a marriage a marriage is a contract really or a form of contract and so that's that's a very old law and until 1991 that wasn't changed okay thank god it was and also the obey part of the um, marriage ceremony was removed from that because you no longer have to say you can say if you want to but it's not a legal requirement for then you to be married so that was that part also in 1989 you've got the the law in this country the police powers in this country to um take domestic violence seriously and also to have the man arrested not because you know when 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 you have a person abusing somebody else if i then want to press charges against that person i could have but at that time the police didn't have powers because usually the person being abused won't press charges right because they're going to come back out and it's going to get worse but now what the police have the powers to do today is to press charges themselves and remove that person from the home that wasn't happening in 1989. Also, you've got to think with Alawalia that she was in this country, um, didn't speak greatest of, uh, of English. She was kept away, I suppose, from Western society and so found it difficult. Even though she did, and give her that, she did um, go to the doctors she had broken noses broken tooth broken you know, fingers um, punch mark bruise you know bruises um, she did have that and she did get um, restraining orders against him and 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 that to, to stop this happen so she did try she also ran off and he would follow her and bring her back and then the beatings would get worse so this was there was evidence there to support her claims of um battered wife syndrome I suppose we, we, we should call it because that's really what it is called so on um, the day of the murder she I think it was um, the 9th of May 1989 it was um, in the evening time Deepak has come in and she said that he was 
having an affair as well. So he was had been on the phone to the woman he was having an affair with. He had then come to her as she was ironing her clothes, ripped her hair back and her hair back and held the iron to her face, a hot iron to her face. He didn't burn her, but held it there and wanted money out of her. So he was trying to extort money, wanted money from the family. So this is what she's alleged happened on this occasion, leading up to this, let alone all the other things that she had alleged happened and what that was evidenced that some had happened as well. But on this day, that's what she said he did, right? Ripped her hair back, held the iron to, hot iron to her face, told her in a burner, also told that he was going to leave her and um, that if he didn't get that money by the morning, that when he got back, that evening he was going to beat her again so you've got this woman now right and this is where the facts of the case this is the, the true facts of the case and and where you're going to have to make up your mind so we've I've sort of tried to explain to you about her background and um, and that but now it's about what she did to him so he goes to bed you know, so she's cooked him dinner and everything else, and, and he's gone to bed, right, on this 9th of May. And again, she said he's going to threaten her to beat her up the next day. So what she does, she tidies up and she goes to bed, but then she gets back up from bed, gets back up in the middle of the night, about 2 a.m. in the morning. And what she does, and what she had done two days prior, or a few days prior to that murder, is go and collect petrol. She's got a can of petrol which she's put down in the um you know about the garage part of her home or, or, or a siding part to the home and she's hidden this um petrol she's also brought caustic soda again hid this this is a few days now leading up so even though this may have been the last incident she says about she's already brought petrol and she's already brought caustic soda so she then goes downstairs at 2am in the morning and starts to mix, puts the petrol in a bucket to make it easier to pour. And she also wears oven gloves. So then she goes into the bathroom and she runs a bath and she adds caustic soda to that bath and leaves it. Now in the bathroom, there is also a saucepan that you can tell where caustic soda had been mixed up. Okay, so that was all left there. So let's call that evidence for now. So then what she does is she takes the candle, she lights the candle. She's carrying up the stairs now <laughs> the, the uh, bucket of petrol and the lit candle in oven gloves, right? Because she doesn't want to get burnt herself. So then... She decides to pour petrol over the legs and the feet of Deepak, her husband, while he's asleep, and then throws the candle onto the bed. Now the man is alight. He's on fire. What does he do? What would you do if you was on fire and you could still walk? You'd head for the bathroom to try and stop the fire. So he sees the bath full of water. Thank God the bath's full of water. He jumps in the bath of water and there's caustic soda in the water. Plus, he says, 
because he lived for six days after this, by the way, that when he was in that bath, she was throwing caustic soda at him. Now, now caustic soda will burn the skin, especially if it's a light, nearly to the bone. Right, so this crime is an awful crime. So Deepak then, because trying to get away from this woman, he then gets out the bar and runs out into the street, screaming, I'm going to kill you, help, help, help. Right, now, people then have took that as he, he was going to kill it, but you just, this man is on fire. Right, this man is in terrible pain, not just from the petrol that's now burning his skin away, but also from the caustic soda added to that burn. And, and you know, it's, it, it would have been intense. So he is then, the neighbours have come out and helped him. And they have then gone to try, because now this house is on fire, have tried, gone to see where Alawalia is. And she's holding her son in the living room. And she wouldn't come out. And she tells him, I'm waiting for my husband to come back. So there's clearly some issues there going on with her mental state at that time. So they finally get her out of the house and she is then arrested and indicted for murder because um, he only lived six days. He um, was in terrible pain and then he got sepsis and he died from them injuries. Okay, so that's what happened to him. But he did say a few things. He couldn't give evidence. He couldn't give false statements because of the man was in intense pain. But he did say, he you know, he didn't have a girlfriend and that he intended to leave that marriage. Right? He was intending to leave the marriage. And there is letters that was also classed uh, as evidence as where he had left her for three days and she had wrote to him and said, please come back. You know, but also in this letter where she's begging him to come back, there's also, but I won't dye my hair anymore. I won't go to the neighbours anymore. I won't ask for help anymore. So there's, it's, it's conflicting really because you've got an evidence that proves He'd left her, right? But then you've got something, a letter that says she wanted him back. But when we look at battered woman syndrome, okay, and that's what it is. And when you look at the effects on the mind of being abused for 10 years or more, you know, um, this is, she was relying on this man, even though this um, marriage was abusive and, and terrible, she was relying on this man. So, when he was going to leave her, she reacted like anyone else would when you, you're going to be left, you know, and, and this reliance on this, it, it does affect people. So it's not a straight out case, this one, I think, of just she was lying or she'd done this, you know, it's a, it's a point where you've got to look at how domestic violence, how abuse, how um, the humiliation and the beating over all these years um, affected her mentally so now let's go on to the trial because she has been indicted for murder and she went to trial and the the uh, um, her legal team put up the defense of provocation all right so provocation is a, it, it's what you were provoked to, to do that you know it's usually an instantaneous loss okay you you've lost control or and so you you've you know and I think the Kaplan case is probably the one of the most known cases for this because it was about a boy that was cooking and he was in, and he was continually being raped and this man was then coming to rape him again and come up behind him and he picked up the saucepan and he hit him over the head 
and you know he died right so that's an instantaneous loss it's where you're in the fear of um that happening again now right so that's that's provocation and then you have these characteristics that go with with that so the characteristics under Kaplan, the, the, the boy that was being raped and then killed the man because he was just literally coming up behind him to do it again, was that would the, was a reasonable person in the same situation do, do the same thing? And so I think with her um, legal team, they relied on that. They didn't really look into, and, and she says this herself, um, they didn't really look into her mental health state at the time, even though she was under mental health and she was known to have had deep depression and lots going on. And there was doctors fault, but they never followed that up. So they just went on this uh, um, partial defence as um, for this murder as that. Now, the jury then have been advised by the judge to um, about provocation and also about the characteristics of that. And I think... Um, he did what he had to do in that case because that's what it was. Now, the prosecution, given that, you know, if I was prosecuting this case and you saw this evidence coming in, so let's look at what the pro prosecution thought. Okay, they thought we've got a woman that's educated. She's got a degree in the arts and she's also trained at some point in some law, maybe not all law, but uh, some law. So she had some understanding of the law. She had lived in England for 10 years and so, and she worked full time. So she had, um, she was in an environment where she, where she could understand and could do things and, and, and could have done something else. And she had tried to so give her that. But with the prosecution, not only that, it's when you have then, you know, it looked like premeditated because she had got the petrol and the caustic soda a couple of days before. So that's what their case was. And also is when you are looking at um, where you've got, where you've been provoked, so you've got provocation, it, it's got to be instantaneous, right? So the instantaneous loss of control has got to be then. This man went to bed. She went to bed. Then she got up and decided to mix up you know, petrol and use a caustic soda and whatever else she did to this man. But the time span, they said, to be classed as a defence of provocation, she had a cooling off time. The time between him being the last incident and her being murdered was too much time. She, she could have cooled down. Now, under provocation, that's why that defence didn't work. The jury then came back with the, a guilty verdict of murder. He was sentenced to murder, and um, I think that was in um, in the November. So she went to prison in November. So she was thirty six at the time uh, when she went to prison. So now, what she does when she's in prison is she learns better English. She writes a book about her case, about her life, and also then there is a video, um, not video, a, a film made later on about this it's called uh, provoked and um so she's sitting in prison she's done this and then she starts to think uh, she wasn't happy with how the court had treated her she didn't think that they had took the cultural side of her um marriage into consideration so when we look at Kaplan and, and stuff you know could they relate to her 
as that, you know, because it wasn't really explained. And that was down really to her, um, her legal team. But also in this court um, at her trial, she didn't give evidence in defence of herself. She didn't want to. Uh, so now there's usually a few reasons why you wouldn't give evidence, you know, in your own trial to protect yourself, to, to, to prove what you were doing. Um, one is because um, sometimes um, as the defence team wouldn't want you to incriminate yourself, so they wouldn't put you on there. Um, the other is you could say no, which she did. She said no because um, she said that because all this abuse and everything was going to come out in court, but even though that's your defence, she was embarrassed about her family knowing what had gone on, what she had suffered over these years, the rapes and that. And she would have, without doubt, have been cross-examined by that prosecution. And if you're not speaking great English and you're not confident and you've, you, you, you've been abused all these years by a man, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a, the prosecutor um, can rip you to pieces. OK, so I can understand from her point of view, but I think, you know, you're fighting now for your liberty. Your whole case is about what this man did to you. The only person that can explain to a jury and make that jury understand what's happened to you is you. No matter what language you do it in, it, it, they want to see emotion. They want to see what this man has done to you. She didn't give them that opportunity. So really, from the prosecution's point of view, you know, it was a, a good case, really. It was a, a, a clear-cut case. So anyway... She'd gone to prison and everything, and um, she decided to appeal in 1991, all right, because of these reasons she didn't feel. And then um, it was a group, I think the Southall um, Black Community Group, that actually assisted her with her um, um, appeal. And um, they were very good, you know, they were in, um, with minority um, groups, and um, they felt that there was a um, some way that they could appeal this case. So there was three grounds put in for appeal. The first ground was where the judge, yes, he did speak about and he did advise the jury on provocation and they tried to say that he didn't do it right or he didn't do it to his fullest. That was wrong. He did. And the other part was about the characteristics um, that when the judge advised on characteristics, he sort of like shut it down to just being that he didn't bring in the cultural bits and everything else and that was also proven that that wasn't um, correct either and so the judge then um, had done nothing wrong but what they did give the appeal on the third ground was that um, where her legal team could clearly see and you could clearly see by the actions I think and you could clearly see by her mental state at the time that they didn't really follow up they didn't look into her mental health state they didn't seek to find the evidence you know they are her team they are working as a defense team to get you off and to do whatever they can to help you in um giving you a defense or or, or giving some mitigating circumstances and why that offense should be um you know uh, uh, that charge of murder should be dropped down to manslaughter or, or whatever else and they didn't actually tell her about diminished responsibility. So there was a lot of issues there that I think was missed. So the appeal then went through and I think the appeal, um, she was then 
the appeal was then granted on that and then with the evidence now now this is the thing with 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 this with this case because it was a historic decision right so under provocation this instant loss of control and when it, you know you're being attacked and you attack back and they die that's instant loss so what provocation they couldn't have got it on provocation so they should have gone to the ministry responsibility which then would give her the mental responsibility wasn't there and that then opened up the door to a new precedent of law in common law which was the slow burn okay now slow burn has got nothing to do with how she burnt him nearly alive it's about how we how women under certain circumstances when they have suffered for long periods of time from domestic abuse don't react the same way as someone like Kaplan who reacted bang you know hit him with the saucepan there they take a longer time right so it's called a slow burn and I usually say to my students a slow burn is like when you used to watch the old cartoons and you'd have the you know they'd like the fuse of the bomb and it'd be a long thing and then the bomb would be there and all of a sudden it'd go off that's what really a slow burn represents it represents in women a tolerance i i think for for this behavior right from these men and you know don't don't think it's just um women that um suffer um abuse it's not it's men as well but in this case we're talking about a woman so the slow burn is where she tolerated this for years now, this may have been the last incident, but it wasn't the incident that would have created her to have done that murder in that way, right? She would have been thinking about this, this not planning it, but in her mind, how can I escape this? How, when's this going to stop? This man's even told her he's leaving her. I'm leaving you. But then in her mind, that she's already gone. You know, she's already gone. So a slow burn is was um, um, was brought in from this case, and it and it is really about women with domestic violence or women that suffer from battered woman syndrome and how they don't explode in one go and, and it isn't instantaneous. It is a long, long, and it can be over a period of time, and all of a sudden they then react, and so that was how she won her appeal on that. But it is clear, and it should be noted that in this um, case, in this appeal, you can't go to court and be charged with murder and then put up a defence. And if that defence doesn't work, then to go and move and try again on a different defence. That is not what this is about. That would never happen. And this is such a historic case because in a way, I suppose it did happen. They allowed evidence in again but only because of her team didn't use that evidence which could have made a difference to the outcome of that trial so that's really why this appeal was granted and why now this precedent stands in um you know so we can now if we have a client that is um on uh, indicted on murder we can now use this case and we can look back on this case and use this case when we are um, planning our murder trial and how we then can help our client and defend a client you can now use this slow burn because it is in common law and it is there and this case law is there that we can now 
use and rely on in court. So this has been the Alawalia case. So this little take a little overview of the facts. So she murdered her husband by buying petrol two days before, buying caustic soda a couple of days before, hiding them, um, cooking him dinner on that day, you know. Yes, he abused her, he pulled her hair, he held her iron to her face, he didn't burn her, he held it to her face, he threatened and she had the threat of the next morning being beaten again because he wanted money or extort money from the family. Then she says the abuse was of rape and um, humiliation and beatings that went on for 10 years. Then she alleges that she um, had, and it is actually fact, that she had then tried to run away and she had tried to get help that didn't work so that that part of it then it was the way she murdered and I think the last thing I think that um, is not helping her case in that way it is and why this causes so much controversy is because she had some legal training and she had wrote and written to his mother and said that she um, wanted him to to burn in a in a in a fiery bath to cause him the same pain and anguish and hurt that he'd caused her over these years. So mentally, you know, you could say diminished responsibility. Anyway, so this has been the case of Alawalia, right? 1989. I'm actually going to leave the um, citation case there for you and the Kaplan case if you're interested in looking further at the legal side of this. Now, so as I said in the beginning, this case causes debates you know you could go out and you could mention this case and you have so many different opinions on this case because of the mixture of evidence right but as we have come forward in time and we now know more about domestic violence we know now about more about the brain and how the brain copes with that sort of trauma and it is trauma um you know if this case come up today i, I I'm, I don't know which way would it go. We've got better defences now, but, you know, you know, we, it, we don't know. And, I, and I, I don't think you would win it and I don't think you would lose it. I really don't know. It would matter about the jury because that's who you're trying to um, con convince. Um, I think if in any trial, if you can give evidence, especially in domestic violence cases where your personality will come through, where your anguish and your heartache and your trauma that you had suffered would have come through may have made people look at this case a little bit differently uh, i think there's that but i think the main point about this is with this case is that domestic violence is a really serious issue all i can say is if any of you man or woman are suffering from any domestic abuse go and get help if they're not going to help you the person you go to somebody else but go and get help you don't need to take it as far as this. You don't need to um, live like that. So just, just try and get some help, all right? And also on this, I shall put on the notes and that the English, um, the UK areas of where you can seek help if you need it. So anyway, this has been the Alawalia case. It is a bit of a disturbing case, I think, with how he died. But it is a, it, it's a legal case really so for any of you budding lawyers out there or ones who are training in law 
or you're really interested in all these cases and the citations of the cases that I'm going to put in the notes um, will help you with that. So again, you know what to do. Thumbs up if you like it. Um, click that um, subscribe button and follow us on um, Instagram and on Facebook. Just look out for Murder Analyzed. So thank you for watching and until the next time, goodbye.